Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Yeah, because you're searching for perfection, and perfection is the enemy of perfectly adequate. Oh, is the bar here? Adequate? Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, I mean, like, when you think about it, right, how do we know we're not in the Matrix? <laughs> oh, God. I thought of a really terrible answer, but that'll have to wait for the main segment, I guess. Um, uh, we never will. We never will. I mean... I don't know. <laughs> have you ever had deja vu? <laughs> you know what that is? <laughs> it's a glitch. It's a glitch at the Matrix. I'm trying to think. So the Matrix was the fir- the very first movie that I ever purchased on DVD, and I was so excited, and it was so cool. And it's just not that cool anymore, is it? People think it's still cool. I, I have never like this is a somewhat I guess at this point almost embarrassing admission. I probably ha- took it as a matter of pride before, but I've never f- watched the whole Matrix. Oh, yeah. Like I keep yes. trying to start it, and I give up like <laughs> halfway through, through two thirds of the way through. Uh, actually, what we're going to talk about it in the main segment, which is simulation theory, the strange attractions people have towards it and then this documentary by Rodney Asher called The Glitch in the Matrix and that made me appreciate The Matrix more than (laughs) trying to watch it every single time that I've uh, because it got at the griminess of it Uh, you know like I I didn't I don't fully think I appreciated that aspect of The Matrix enough I think we've talked about this before but I think if you didn't watch it within the sort of like five year span maybe like so many there's so many derivative works that uh, that it's uh, like it actually feels derivative even though it wasn't you know um and like you know when even like kung fu panda is doing your little bit of like dodging bullets you know yeah like the shining or something like that like it becomes too iconic almost right it and it's almost tamler it's almost cringe it's almost cringe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure that's the best. I'm not sure why you would choose that adjective of it. But anyway, yeah, that's what we're talking about in the in the second segment. Uh, in the first segment, totally off topic. Um, <laughs> with no, no, with no, no effort at a segue no, at all. No bridge for me to cross. Nothing <laughs> like thrown out. Is we're going to do some very bad wizards conceptual analysis. That's right. Where we it's a segment. To, it is. Like, well, I think have we done one or two other ones? We, we did corny. You know what we did? We did kind of, we did like a, was our snitch episode a little bit like that? It that was, was an extra, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like we've done one more, but I'm forgetting. So this is very bad wizards does conceptual analysis. You know, we try to nail down the necessary and sufficient conditions <laughs> of concepts like corny, like uh, snitching. And today we are going to do something. I guess that's a little bit related to corny, yeah. although also pretty distinct, a cringe. Yeah. I feel like I come across cringe just a lot. <laughs> just, and I don't know, like more than usual recently. Well, just getting know. to a certain age, I think, you're yeah. always in danger of it, you know? And also being a professor and <laughs> yeah, that's teaching true. students, like, I mean, you are on a, you're just on a field, like a minefield of potential. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget when I was in grad school, I was TAing for a social psychology class and the professor was just super nice and sincere so this was like i want to say like right around the year 2000 1999 or something like that. and uh she had the same slides that she had been using clearly for like 10 years and uh she, she also seemed to have her lectures written out and i remember one time uh you know she was transitioning slides and then on one of the slides it's just a picture of alf and she says, and then she starts like very rotely talking about, you know, so think about the TV show Alf and that, you know, and nobody at that point had heard of who yeah. Alf was or anything. And she was so sincerely, I think, trying to relate to the kids right. that it was really, you know, I didn't have a word cringe for it back then, but it really was. And yeah, I feel like my whole life as a lecturer is to avoid ever being cringe. like that. Yeah. yeah, but if you try too hard, also you can uh, yeah. be cringe by trying not to be cringe, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have this part of my general sometimes like overconfidence that I'm not cringe uh, <laughs> that often. You know, like that's yeah. kind of like I, I have this because I'm sure that's not true if I really think about it like rationally, but you know. Like, like it's I'll part of your self-concept is that you're not cringe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That I can neg navigate those fields with the proper amount of like self-deprecation and, um, you know, and actually good, good jokes, not cringe jokes. Um, do, do you ever, have you ever said anything to Liza and had her Re respond with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> I mean, no, no, no man <laughs> is going to like not do something cringe for her, for his daughter. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I remember like not too long ago, I said, I don't remember what slang it was that I said. Um, and Bella just gave me this look and I was like, what? She's like, that's just so cringy that you're trying to use that word. <laughs> and, and I was genuinely offended because in fact, it was slang from my era that Zoomers have just co-opted as their own. Yeah. And I was like, fuck you, I've been using this word. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing when you're Gen X is it's all bullshit because we're <laughs> yeah. the coolest. And, <laughs> you know, most of the stuff that they think they invented, we were already there. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. So so we have I, we've come prepared with our conceptual analysis. And yeah. you have you have a proposed definition. I have something like a set of conditions. That is neither necessary nor sufficient. <laughs> All right. This is like a just a, I'm just throwing it out there. I haven't really thought about this that much. But when there is a miss, I take it back that we come prepared. Yeah. I take it back. I no, came no, prepared. No, no, no. I mean like about this definition. <laughs> okay. I mean, I also haven't been that prepared for this whole thing. I thought we were just going to toss it around. But when there is a mismatch between how the person believes he or she is being perceived and how they are actually being perceived. 
that's, I think, my best, like, if I had to do it in a sentence. And, and I guess, you know, but you'd have to add that they perceive something going over in a good way, but it's actually going over. It. Right. Y- uh, yeah. yeah. That just gets yeah. us started. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I think it's good. It's um, never going to be necessary or sufficient. But um, it's it's it might be necessary in that it might be necessary. Yeah, here let me just throw out one of the like most famous cringy movie scenes maybe ever is <laughs> from Swingers um, when he's oh, leaving those God, voicemails. Yeah, yeah. is that yeah. a counterexample? Because I I think he knows that it's not going well. He just compulsively can't stop himself from just calling back and leaving the voicemails and thinking. But maybe in the moment where he thinks it's a good idea to call back and leave another message, he actually, there's this mismatch when we know that's the worst possible thing (laughs) you can do, that you have to cut bait entirely and then just apologize the next day. It makes me think, is there a distinction between cringe being a property of the person who is being cringy and cringe as the emotion that I'm feeling in response to them. I guess it's just sort of the same, but focus on two different things. Yeah. Cringe. But so, yeah, so I had, uh, like I had also on my list, a, a lack of self-awareness. I, I do think that's necessary. Yeah. Um, so the feeling of cringe is like vicarious embarrassment, I think, right? It's this kind of vicarious embarrassment. And I, I do think that the, the, the person who is being cringy has to be sincere um and, and that's part of what makes it terrible is that they really seem to think that that what they're saying or doing is fine or normal or like they they're in, they're enforcing it they're not doing it ironically they and they they're taking themselves seriously a lot of cringe is like people taking themselves a bit too seriously when they're saying these things and then yeah, yeah. they can all i think you can be cringe when you're telling a joke that's not funny or saying something that you think is funny and is not funny and you start laughing there they're not being serious in one way but they're being serious in the way that they think that what they're doing is (laughs) should meet with social approval of some kind you know yeah 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 definitely you know there's cringe humor what this paper was about feels a little different to me too when, um, like you, you bringing up the swingers case, the fact that they're making us laugh with this is like they're they are creating the character as being not self aware in a way that is making it sort of like the the office, the David Brent kind of character, yeah. Like where it is David Brent is or or Michael Scott is they're terribly not self aware, um, and so the the writers of the show are trying to give us that feeling, um, and so it's meta funny. You mean it's meta funny when they're in, telling jokes that aren't? Well, it's well. Sorry, I meant it's meta funny in the sense that if we were talking to David Brent when yeah. he said those things, it wouldn't really be funny, right? Right. <laughs> yes, because I think one of the hallmarks of cringe in person, which is different than cringe comedy in a movie or a TV show, I think, is that you have trouble like looking them in the eye. <laughs> yeah. You have trouble like just you, you feel really uncomfortable in your own skin and you're definitely looking away and just want begging the person to stop. Like you yeah. just they can't if they keep going, it's just I think it's because we have to react not in the way that we feel about it, which is, you know, like right. you're we're, a fucking idiot right now <laughs> and it's just making it worse and please stop. Right. It's a it's an interesting kind of vicarious embarrassment too, because it's like, you know, if you 
do something embarrassing in front of an audience, I'm in that audience and I see that you got embarrassed, mm. it's one thing. Like I can be very embarrassed for you yeah, and you be embarrassed too. But they're they're just like failing to see that they ought to be embarrassed, and right. it's just like oh man, yeah. it's a big oof. Like that's just like you should know. They should know that they're completely saying or doing something that's just so bad. Yeah, and for someone like me who really has trouble hiding how he feels, <laughs> like it's very hard because even though they should know that they're going to be embarrassed, they're not embarrassed, and I I'm not supposed to like signal to them that they should be embarrassed. I'm supposed right. to do the opposite. Like if I'm just trying to be a nice person (laughs) and that's what's so hard about it that's why i think i look away always because if they look me in the eye they will know exactly (laughs) what i think just like but i think sometimes they know anyway like i just have this kind of hopeless look on my face i think you know just like i'm sunk (laughs) to depths that i just don't know like if there's any escape from this um i was remembering that when we talked about corny I think at least that I had this view that corniness also needed some sincerity. Um, and, and I think that might be true. It's just that like you can tell a corny joke sort of knowing that you're trying to be funny and cringe is even less self-aware. I think like it's uh, how could you possibly think this? So, so I have an, um, an example of things that I constantly find cringe and that's Elon Musk tweeting like 69 jokes Oh God! I'm That's just so bad. It's just like what? Like, oh my God! Like you're, <laughs> you're just. He also named his his Tesla cars, like the Model S, the Model X, and the Model Three, because that spells out sex. Oh God! Like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's just. I'm but so here's a question that actually yeah. raises an interesting question because. Although we think that's cringe, like he'll get for all those fucking tweets, he'll just get like hundreds of thousands yeah. of likes and he has these people who worship him. Is yeah. at that point is it like cringe anymore or is it just kind of a sad fact those, about the world? It's I think it's cringe and I'm going to make a normative claim it ought to be cringe and I it think that those and I think that the people who who are are like on his nuts either mistakenly think that he's being ironic like mm. and i don't think that it's that i don't think it's that that might or, be true for like a half percent of those right people. or they also are cringy themselves we have a duty to <laughs> not reward cringe <laughs> behavior and a lot of people don't do their duty when it comes well, to that either out of politeness or because they're just too stupid to see that it's cringeworthy well so this is one of my b- big problems with say twitter um, because I think normally if you were saying this shit in real life, you might start to realize from people's, you know, like people like you with leaky faces who can't help but make a just a face that reveals that you're being cringy. You get feedback. But what happens on Twitter is there's an asymmetry where if a thousand people like it and a million people think it's cringe, there's right. you, all you get is a thousand likes. So that's different than like David Brent in the office where it's like everybody, everybody but does. him yeah. essentially right. is is getting this just really skin crawling <laughs> feeling as Ugh. he's doing what he's doing and he thinks it's going great. I don't know like the British office has so many examples I had a trouble narrowing it down but when he's 
being a motivational. There's two <laughs> two when he's being a motivational speaker. You remember that one, and he's uh, and it just comes out of that thinking that it just went great. He's in that kind of high energy, you know, like after you've given a good lecture or something like that, you feel like you feel like the shit. And, <laughs> and but it's like everybody else is like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's not exactly my style of thing, but. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you into a little secret now, right? Before I went out there, I was worried whether I still had it. <laughs> I'll let you be the judge of that. High five, don't let me hang in down. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Oh, here he is. Oh. Tina, a bit too much for you? Possibly. Oh, it's your job. Hold me back, because when I'm out there, I am, oh, and it's like, so that's up to you, I'm afraid. Oh, jeez. Tell you what, though, seemed to go for it, didn't they? God, that show makes me so uncomfortable. So there's a lot of like a uh, um, cringe that that makes me cringe because like there is this sort of like sincere emo ness to him. To like so like um, there's this guy named like the, I don't remember his name, but he's he's this Indian TikToker who who would make these Joker faces mm-hmm. and they're so it's terrible because clearly he's taking himself seriously thinking that he looks cool doing something that he looks really dumb doing but there there would like be at the bottom like some sort of quote like you know i don't know like i may not like uh, something just very emo like uh um uh Fuck, I can't even think of an example. I'm going to have to look it up, dude, and we're going to cut this. I like, I like so... that you, you were saying <laughs> that I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I'm going to put a link to Indian Joker, but it is it is one of the cringiest things. In fact, he got he got well-known because the subreddit r slash cringetopia would feature him all the time. There, It was always accompanied by like some emo message about really like being rejected by girls or wanting to kick some guy's ass because like, or like you don't know the pain I've been through, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like you don't know my pain. Right. Is one of the <laughs> like, cringiest things you could ever say. <laughs> and it's like, of course I don't, because I don't know <laughs> who you are. So um, what about real life? Like where do you find... What should I feel like we're not doing conceptual analysis? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. So my my list of stuff was it's like a feeling of like it's vicar cringe. The cringe feeling is vicarious embarrassment, and it's triggered by something that is sincere that takes itself very seriously and that lacks self awareness. And and I I it that still doesn't complete sort of like the well what the content is. Yeah. Like that it's hard to pin down the content and all I can do is say like sometimes when it's, when it's like revealing of emotions that you really shouldn't be feeling, um, that's one kind or revealing like, yeah, or just, yeah, just revealing, um, in general, like virtue signaling is a lot is often cringy. So sometimes the content can be, you say something very like Democrats trying to get all social justice. I think. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get myself in trouble cause I know a lot of people like, these things to think they're valuable but like i find like land acknowledgements oh my god i don't think that's true that a lot of people find Dude, those it is very valuable canadians just all do it i think like they have gotten in arguments about this maybe not a lot but it is the cringiest thing <laughs> what are you doing like what uh, like are you gonna give the land back are you going to like it's, exactly, it seems yeah. like you're fucking like like trash talking at a certain point like right. i'm on this motherfucker's land right now 
I know. It's like just do something. Like you gotta do something. Do about something. It? Yeah. So that's that stuff's cringy. When like this is all mostly East Coast stuff, but I have friends that work in the arts in New York, and they all have to on Zoom calls describe their appearance. Because what if there was someone that was visually impaired? (laughs) And even if there's not anybody that's visually impaired, they still do it to normalize it. And then the worst part is they'll start putting in little jokes describing themselves. Like, my hair is all messed up today. I just uh, got up too late and, you know, talk about their clothes. It's just like... I've never experienced that. My sister-in-law says, like, we'll get... It'll be like an hour meeting and we won't be done with that shit for, like, 40 minutes. I've never even heard of people doing that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that that sort of empty virtue signaling is a good example. Like, also, like the Republicans trying to be Trumpy or MAGA, you know, yeah. pretend they're kind of populist is really cringy yeah, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, there are a lot of people now who do cringy TikTok videos um, because, like, they know that it gets a lot of views and like people. But but they are being very self aware in their cringiness. But it requires to to make a video that's cringy. You have to like, if someone sees it for the first time, not knowing that you're one of those accounts, they have to really find it cringy. So right. It's kind of brilliant that it's yeah. like, you know, that they're so self-aware that they can make themselves. Right. And you're willing to like leave yourself open for just yeah. misguided attacks. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get a bunch of people in the comments being like, oh my God, can't you tell what's satire? Yeah, um, exactly. In fact, that used to happen on the Cringetopia subreddit where a lot of people would be like, Somebody would post a cringy thing and people would mock them for not knowing that it was satirical. And it really was like a blurred line between what is cringy in that the person really didn't know versus satire and that they were mocking you for not knowing. Right. (laughs) Right. I will give this generation, the Zoomers or whatever, credit for they will put out humor that is like I, I don't know if I can like meet their meta-ness. Yeah, uh, it's exactly like, right. It's, it's it's like that's like beyond my intellectual powers to try to like kind of figure out like is this ironic? Is this sincere but pretending to be ironic or like you know another level up of that? Like it's uh they're like I'm really impressed with that. absolutely. I totally yeah. agree, and and I struggle sometimes to find it funny. Um, but sometimes I do. I feel, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> right. Like they really do get, it is yep. some serious Zoomer shit to be like, you know, like pop three levels of meta and and do it deadpanny in yeah. a funny way. <laughs> it's like six dimensions. <laughs> like I can't conceive of the world. Like I just conceive evolved. of the world in my like Gen X. Like, yeah. Framework. Yeah. We're like, we're still like on like, <laughs> like, like friends level sarcasm, you know, and they've, they've, they've come all the way around right. to really liking friends. Right. They've already lapped us <laughs> in terms of like, <laughs> so congratulations. Do I have anything else? Oh, I just have other examples. So here's, here's one that's, cringe but maybe more in, in the old-fashioned ver- uh, like times where, where cringe wasn't an ad- an adjective on its own like you would say it was cringe inducing or right. it was cringy maybe even that i think is fairly recent yeah. but so you know taxi driver when robert de niro travis bickle takes sybil shepherd to on a date and he he takes her out he just sees her in the window takes her out and on a first date because he's this like war veteran that just drives taxis at night because he can't sleep. He takes her to like what he does, which is a like a porn theater. 
and she's <laughs> all dressed up and but he's gone to these you see him go to these things and you see that like occasionally like couples will be in there yeah. and so he thinks oh this is like a place i could take a woman and so he does that and it's uh, and of course she's just like at first she was like what is this and then she's just kind of horrified and she walks out and then there's a scene a little later on where she doesn't want to talk to him anymore. She, he, she's not like picking up the phone and he, he, he calls and yeah, she picks up the phone and he. I just, listen, uh, I'm, I'm sorry about the, the other night. I didn't know that was the way you felt about it. Well, I, I, I didn't know that was the way you felt. I have, I, I would have taken you somewhere else. Uh, okay. 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 Uh, did you get my flowers in the, you didn't get them, but I sent some flowers. Uh, well, okay, okay. Can, can I call you again uh, uh, tomorrow or the next day? Okay. Uh, no, I'm going to, okay, yeah, sure, okay. And then the camera just kind of moves away. So he's talking on the phone in a payphone, and then it just moves away to like an empty hallway as he's speaking and like just getting absolutely nowhere. And Scorsese interviewed about that, said, because we couldn't bear to see <laughs> at that moment. That's why I moved. It's this very, like, famous pan away from him into an empty hallway. It's like, because it's too, you can't bear to see this kind of, I don't know, humiliation. Uh, right. <laughs> and I th so that's not, I guess he is taking himself seriously, but he's, there's no sense of I'm being praiseworthy or superior or something like that. It's more just kind of desperate. So there can be a cringiness yeah. to desperation, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen Taxi Driver the whole way through. I, I could tell based on you not. By my reaction, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, you gotta see it. It's like, like I know, I don't know why I've avoided it. movie of all time. I've talked about so my good. problem with 70s cinema and it's just the I just, look. I block that out. <laughs> I'm younger than you. It's like I, I you know, I my problems with nineties hip hop. You know, it's just, it's like, they just hadn't really figured out how to like get that synth voice going. I found an exa another example of cringe that uh that I think was it was real peak uh, self own cringe. Uh somebody made fun of James Lindsay. You've seen you've seen uh James Lindsay do that video like he had a video of himself oh, practicing yeah, like sword. Samurai sword. Yeah. yeah. Somebody tweeted to him, You're a middle aged man with a collection of mall swords that cries about breakfast cereal and then quote tweeted him. And you know, the mall mall swords is a pretty funny, I think, insult to like that he, he went and got these these things that he values so much or just and but he replied and said I only have one sword that qualifies as a mall sword, which is a stand-in until I'll belly up to the $3,000 price tag for the real one, groomer. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> man, he took it seriously. <laughs> it was like, a, it was a weird moment of, a, of, of too vulnerable. Like I think, though, like with him, like sometimes you cross the line into, like you're not cringe anymore, you're just... <laughs> crazy you yeah. just lost it completely and so like i don't know for me that's less i don't find the james Lindsay stuff there's nothing he can do anymore that i'll think is funny or interesting because like it just seems like he's gone well totally he has gone off the deep end but usually he has superiority in his like tone 
when he yeah. like he he's just incessantly mocking people and he yeah. is gone off the off the rails but this one was like you could tell it got to him like you could tell this one insult of calling him like he cares about swords so like yeah. he needed no, to like it's just bad but I do like I think it's it's it doesn't matter what the content is if you're at that if, point like, you're where I so think you're, you're like, at, like you're just completely lost your mind. You Correct. know, I think a lot of celebrities. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not saying he's a celebrity. I'm saying like a lot of celebrities sometimes get to this point. You remind me of another uh, cringe. To, not to bring up Joker again, but I guess. But Jared Leto's Joker, very <laughs> yeah. cringy, right? And then when you hear about some of his behavior on the set where he was trying to. S- somehow be like a method actor about playing the joker yeah those are just terribly cringy stories you're like wow that's someone taking themselves so seriously for something that really does not deserve for that performance yeah i think there's something about this is good for the necessary and sufficient conditions or at least a boundary condition like they have to, you have to be confident that if somehow it could be revealed to them like what people were thinking that that would affect them in a normal way like it would affect you or me <laughs> okay so let me ask you about this one so uh your boy who is um well, i just lost the name of the hbo series the succession the gu- the guy who plays jeremy strong yeah, yeah and that when that article came out about him yeah like those were some real cringe like it was insulting to him because I think it portrayed him in such a cringy light. And so what you're saying now is if he realizes that that behavior is cringy, like upon reading that, then it's proper cringe. But if he doesn't, or maybe like, I think he'll be like, that's just who I am. So like if people find it embarrassing, you know, whatever, like at a certain point, like I think my wife does this. Like if you embrace your cringiness, sometimes you're kind of, immune then I get, and it yeah. actually makes other people not worry about it anymore. right like, right yeah, i get it well yeah. so so that's that why shows a self-awareness I exactly guess. that's why those yeah. like tiktok accounts where they're doing it on purpose um but it's not that they're doing it on purpose so that's not what i'm saying it's just that they're they know it's cringe and they don't care yeah i still think though though that like the you know that actor jeremy whatever um you think that's cringe i think it's cringe if those stories are the stories that they are, I think him not being aware just makes it more cringe. So, all right. Well, we've gone on a lot. <laughs> You're going to have to edit and this probably one. <laughs> been, I'm cringing at how like much I'm going to edit this. But c- congrats uh, to the younger generations for making this like an adjective. Oh, exactly. Good job. I think it's a good one. Good like, job, it's, it's valuable. And we're here to break it down for you and teach you what, what it really means. <laughs> That was a good cringe right there. That was quality <laughs> cringe content. Oh, right, well, oh, wait. Last example. I posted. I'll post this one. There was yeah. a church. There was a uh, like a Christian church like ceremony, you know, on stage where they did a whole skit in full on Avengers uniforms, but about Jesus. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one christians have like a you know non-denominational christians have a, a good they have a good lock yeah. on the cringe market when they want to rap or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> jews rapping is a lot also like i mean it can happen it can work but yeah. you know no you jews, ra- jews rapping face. is a lot funnier than christians rapping <laughs> no that's true yeah 
we still have the kind of entertainment <laughs> vaudeville kind of history to draw on, whereas those people re- really don't have anything. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back to talk about simulation theory. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You know, life can be overwhelming and so many people are burned out, sometimes without even knowing it. Do you feel a lack of motivation or maybe do you feel a little helpless or detached, tired all the time? That could be stress and the general burnout of life that we all experience to some degree. And a lot of people associate burnout with work, but sometimes it never seems to stop. All the details of life, the bullshit, the online forms, the maddening bureaucracy, the news like politics, social media, living online, everything. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. And talking with someone, a trained, unbiased observer can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how to deal with it in the most effective way possible. You know, when I was growing up, there was a little stigma to therapy. Not a lot, but definitely it was there. Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. I interact with a lot of students, and more and more of them are telling me these days about the benefits that therapy has had on their life. Well, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Very Bad Wizards listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com VBW. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Thanks, as always, to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time where we love to thank everybody who gets in touch with us, emails us, tweets at us, um, joins the the lively subreddit community, how all the different ways that you interact with us um, and interact with the rest of the Very Bad Wizards community. It feels cringe to... To call it the very bad wizards community. A oh, bit. Do, you know what I, uh, apropos our cringe conversation, I told my daughter that we were talking about cringe. Yeah. And in a, a very Zoomer way, she goes, Dad, you, using the word cringe is kind of cringe. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I, already, too. Like, <laughs> I was like, you can't also use it in your in your condemnation of. 
<laughs> no, but they're at a different level. Yeah, it's a different <laughs> <laughs> That sucks, though. Our whole first segment is just, just totally, like, <laughs> like, destroyed with that one line. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we do our best. We try. We, we try, try hard. We I, very sincerely. <laughs> anyway, if you aren't a Zoomer and uh, that wants to make fun of us, or even if you are, fuck it, um, <laughs> you can email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Tamler at peas at verybadwizards. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, join the subreddit, verybadwizards subreddit. You can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find out about um, the pot, about Very Bad Wizards and join the Very Bad Wizards community. And if you want to support us in more tangible ways, uh, you can do any of a number of things that you can see if you go to our verybadwizards.com support page. Um, you can give us a one-time donation on PayPal. You can buy some swag, uh, mugs, T-shirts, or you can join our wonderful group of uh, patrons on patreon.com. If you do that, you get some perks. At $1 and up, everybody gets ad-free episodes and you get all of the collections of my beats that I put together, which I just released, Beats Without Rhymes, Volume 6. Yeah, it's getting some um, good uh, some good yeah, reviews. Some love. Yeah, yeah, a lot of love. Yeah, so thank you to everybody who gives me love about that. Um, at $2 and up, you get that and you get all of our bonus segments. And again, we need to figure out what are we, we were just talking about something. Well, I'm going to do one. I th- think it's almost nailed down the time, uh, with Jesse and Natalia on uh, lost highway. And are then, you starting a podcast with them? I like, mean, are you, is there something that you're not telling me? <laughs> is it starting the podcast, a, <laughs> a new podcast? If it's still very bad wizards, it's just, <laughs> 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 asshole and eventually we'll do atlanta we'll do atlanta this summer oh god yeah you gotta see it yeah so I good still i still haven't watched it yeah so at uh, two dollars and up you get bonus segments at five dollars and up you get that and you get to vote on an episode topic that we have um a couple times a year you get access to our brothers karamazov uh series five part series you get access to my uh intro psych lectures uh few of Tamler's lectures on Plato Symposium. And finally, $10 and up, you get to ask us anything and get videos. <clears throat> and the audio version of those videos, then people get uh, at $2 and up as well. They float down yes. f- after a month. Um, <laughs> they trickle down. <laughs> they trickle down like, <laughs> like good Reaganomics. Um so yeah, thank you to everybody for all your support. We uh, very much appreciate it in any way uh, that you yeah. support us. Um, and we have an ac- uh, ask us anything coming up too. That we got yeah, we got a lot of good questions. Yeah, so uh, like maybe too many. Too many. I know we've yeah. answered every question so far. This one will be yeah. a test. It will be a test. We're going to have to be more economical in our in our answers. In our, in our, yeah, we have not been economical. <laughs> We're going to have sure. to just answer yes or no for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from now on, we'll just have to make them multiple choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you, everybody. We really appreciate it. All right, let's talk about uh, Glitch in the Matrix and simulation theory more broadly. Um, so 
the basis of this discussion is going to be a movie by Rodney Asher, a documentary. So this is by the same director who did Room 237, and it has a lot of similarities in how it's structured and also, I think, maybe the kind of person that's being... Yeah, and then there's also some really interesting footage of Philip K. Dick and his announcement to a French audience for the first time that he believed that we were living in a simulation and that he had been contacted by an outside force. He had, like, a transcendent, rational being within him for a time or something. I don't totally... Did you know all about this? No, I did not at all. Yeah. And... I'm not even sure that what was it clear that what he believed in was simulation theory or just that we there were like multiplicities of worlds that, that could leak into each other. I, yeah. I thought for maybe it's just because I was projecting because I knew what the movie was about. D- double checked. Dick Philip Dick did say in that speech clearly we are living in a computer program okay. reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. Right. Yes, like Mandela effects, which... Yeah, so there's interesting footage. There's in, there's really good animation that accompanies the interviews. And the, the people themselves are computer-generated, like, avatars of, of some kind. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're, like a, they're like a filter. Yeah. But, like they're, but it's like a filter that has these, I guess, custom-made avatars of different weird-looking beings. Yeah, like a, yeah. like a wolf, a standing wolf with like a bow tie. Or, there's one guy that looks like a Star Trek or Star Wars kind of alien. Yeah, it's like an alien with a space suit on. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the, the, one, the wolf one looked like Anubis, the Egyptian god kind of. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think their voices are disguised. I mean, they give their real names nope. and they're... So there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is very bad wizards has treated uh, a bunch of these topics, sometimes lightheartedly, sometimes not. Um, right. But I, I was kind of amazed at how, like, th- this is a synchronicity, I think, at how many <laughs> things it's like, oh, we've said that or we've talked yeah. about that or, you know, um, and I guess not surprisingly, but still. Right. And, and uh, it also has an interview with Nick Bostrom. And a guy named Eric Davis, who worked on Philip K. Dick's, like, final tome. And I actually really liked his interviews. And when it's someone like Bostrom or Eric Davis, there's no avatar. Yeah. Right. And the, what's the woman? Then there's a woman, actually, That's as well. right. I don't remember her name, but she, yeah. uh, she was really good, too. She talks about Plato's cave, so she yeah. kind of gives philosophical context, but is very good about relating that to what's going on in the movie. Absolutely. All right, so let's uh, let's just start here before we go through all of this in more detail. What did you think of the movie? I I liked the movie, Tamler. I didn't love it. Everything that they talked about, I think, was fascinating. Just as a film, though, I found it to be a little more scattered. I was surprised at the amount of tangents he allowed the people to go on. I think I know what he was doing. He was making the viewer inhabit the world of tangents that these people go on. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. So I don't I don't know that it's a flaw. I I just think that it was um there wasn't as tight a thesis as I felt room two thirty seven to be, which is weird to say because the thesis has to come through editing, right? Because yeah. you can't expect that these all of these disparate people are going to somehow provide you with like a thema- a theme for the movie. <clears throat> but the thing that I did love is I think he took his editing up a notch. <clears throat> he brings in so many films, video games, 
and and custom sort of animated sequences. Yeah, that that alone I think m- made made it enjoyable to to get through. Um, I like the 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 simulation tank where he has yeah. this transcendent experience. One of the interviewees, yeah, sensory deprivation, sensory tank. De- sensory deprivation <laughs> tank. Yeah, um, I, that animation was so cool, and the music. I think the music is great throughout this yeah. Uh, movie. Yeah, too. yeah, it really was. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you think? I loved it. I yeah. fucking loved this movie. I, I loved it in a way that I didn't. I mean, I really like Room Two Three Seven, but I responded to this movie like I just first of all because I don't know how acquainted with some of these ideas I was. Certainly not in any depth. But just to see these people who, you know, really believe it and then to just get little clues as to what kind of people, what ties them all together, what kind of person is attracted to this view of the world. So there was that element, and that's also in Room 237, I think. But the just the a lot of the other stuff conveyed this mood or tone. Like, it made me upset watching it yeah, right now. Like, too. there was an air of, like paranoia and 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 just unease like and i think it conveyed like he's really good at conveying this sense which i sometimes feel when i'm just out in the world myself that like the world is kind of cracking up a little bit like yes reality is getting less and less tethered and that's part of it but it's also like realities are just getting shittier there's a kind of desperate shittiness to everything and it really kind of and, and, you know, I think some of the characters even say something like that. Or maybe yeah. Eric Davis says Philip K. Dick was good about capturing the texture of life uh, today. You know, he was prophetic yeah. about that aspect of it. And then I think uh, that's that's kind of how I felt, too, about this movie is that it was I, I as the, the theories started to get crazier. But then all of a sudden someone would say something that was pretty insightful. I can't remember where I, when it was, but when I texted you like this movie is wild, yeah, I, was, I was wondering where I, I felt like I don't know, like very disturbed by how these ideas are out there and, and and what it means that you know this view is just gaining more and more popularity. Yeah, there is something really interesting, and we this is the one thing I do remember talking about on the podcast, which is is there something that's causing mm-hmm. the idea to be sticky now? Um, I suspect maybe there's a slight difference in the distress that we had my my distress was i felt what you felt about like yeah this the world does reality does seem to be fucked up but i felt more uh, both pangs of sadness for yes. these people yes and also i was frustrated with them because i found i i i there was something in the egocentrism and the the rampant solipsism that they expressed that made me angry at them oh see Um, i felt like i couldn't be angry at them like any of them for even a second because they're just so lonely it it felt uh, yeah angry is not the right word frustrated yeah Uh, frustrated at the uh, you know me i don't like the the looseness of those connections and the way that they were talking about other people being just maybe non-existent i was like eh, it sounds a little entitled buddy like it sounds like a little yeah <laughs> and i think I, I think actually more the majority of critics had more your reaction like good you know some really cool stylistic touches but um for whatever reason it reached me maybe it's just like because i've been 
feeling this when I go out, like just to go to the store, like everyone just seems a little more pissed off. Everybody feels mm-hmm. just a little like, and also there's like uncanniness to it, to, to it. And I, and I, I feel like clearly like this stuff has always been going on and people kind of start sensing this at different times, but it feels like lately that this is getting more and more like this. You know what? Now that you uh, say that, I, the uncanniness, you remember like right when shit hit with the pandemic, like yeah. it was totally uncanny, right? It yes. was like we were in vanilla sky, like nobody was on the streets. And then there was the uncanniness when everybody was wearing masks. Yeah. It was this real just m- weird moments. I yeah. wonder if like there is this theme throughout of uh, at least, a, I think at least a couple of the guys who are being interviewed um, talk about the, the notion of a non-player character. Oh, I, that that was one of my favorite segments. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I wonder if, and this sounds like a, like I'm an anti-masker, um, which is you are that I'm not. Yeah. Um, which is that the maybe there really is something about our inability to see people's faces clearly makes it not just uncanny and that everywhere everyone's wearing masks, but we lose a bit of the humanity in our interactions and are like walking by and seeing people's facial expressions. And like, they might seem more like a non-player character. Definitely. Like I remember like nobody's wearing masks here in our grocery store anymore, but when they were, and they were for, you know, like over a year, at least a year and a half, it was like hard to hear people too. Yeah. Like you talk to people because I live in the South. So often you talk to the person that's checked. They're like Charlie Brown. Couldn't hear it. Yeah. So it was like this muffled, like adults from the Charlie Brown uh, (laughs) TV show. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I am of the opinion that this is all like a product of the weird psychology of these people, but also the weird psychological things that are going on in the the world and not, and not that that this is uncanniness of the universe, but I get the feeling. Yeah. I get, yeah, I get that, you know? Yeah. And just like that, it's fraying too. Like he's really good at conveying that like the reality or what you think is real is a kind of fucked up, but also it's like ready to come apart. You know, yeah. it's like uh, it's not in good shape. It needs repair, you know, right? Like, the, you know, like the guy who says people always talk about like technology as being this like great thing where everything's new. I feel like my life is technology that's just broke, failing. breaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah failing, I've, exactly. I've had long spells of life where I feel like that's that's it. Like, uh, yeah, what this now too? What the hell? There is something deeply interesting to me about the the number of thoughts that I think are otherwise unrelated. Like when when you if you were to sit and, and take apart like each of the things that people are saying, this world is frustrating also like i don't connect with other human beings also times are shitty also there's this simulation thing that might be true all of them are really could be just independent claims and some are even weirdly inconsistent with each other it's just that they're all feeling something and there is some appeal to this view that has in one in at least one case got seemed to like at least get someone through some hard times in another case ruined his life yeah, definitely it, it highlights the similarities between simulation theory and religion, right? It yeah, is just a absolutely, religion. Absolutely. And 
and but it's like a religion for the lonely. It's a religion <laughs> yeah. for the, like the isolated. You know, when they do their origin stories of how they came to understand that we're living in a simulation, it's like they all just like have this desperate loneliness. One person like has got kicked out of the house by his parents and then played video games every day working at Chili's for two hours. For two, yeah, for two years. Two played, years. Just yeah. lost in like working at Chili's and playing video games. And then another one was like he moved from Pontiac, Illinois, which had a <laughs> lot of people, to some other sh- like shittier Illinois uh, town with few people and never saw anybody. And like he's like, yeah, I didn't have access to a lot of people then. And right. and then there's one guy who had Crohn's disease. And then the the guy who ends up uh, shooting his adopted parents. Well, he you know he was uh, uh, abused alone. Um, the one who got into the matrix. Yeah. So it, so it really does feel like it is a religion. It satisfies, it has a lot of the same things that religion has. Yeah. It has gods. It has, um, kind of fate. It has little glitches. It has, and, but, and like, a, and it provides a sort of metaphysics, mm-hmm. not like not a good one, but, it, but it provides metaphysics. Yeah. But it's like the, often the good thing about religion, the reason I sort of am disappointed that I'm not, and sometimes I'm, I'm not really, but that like I, is that religion provides community, like ritual yeah. and community, which I think are generally good things. But simulation theory definitely doesn't provide that. <laughs> That's right. It's, it does the opposite. It yeah. seems like it gives you more excuse and, and like motivation to not see people. Yeah, and one of the things that religion provides too is an organized view of how the world works that's shared by many people. Mm-hmm. And simulation theory isn't there, right? Like these are all these are all people who believe in some version of simulation theory, but oftentimes their versions are so strikingly different from each other's and because of as you say there's no community of people who there is no you know, it's a pre-theoretical religion, right? Like what Right. Um, the details it, are completely changed from person to person. Yeah. You know, like, left to your own, like everyone's left to their own devices to, to fill in the blanks. Okay. Yeah. Now that simulation theory is something I believe, what right. follows? How many people are real and how many people are conscious? Well, that's uh, the thing. That yeah. says a lot, right? Some people found themselves going towards solipsism and some people weren't, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's a very different thing to say, this is a simulation and you, Tamler, are a brain in a vat just like I am. versus I'm the only one. We've talked about it and we can discuss this more if we want, but if every single person is conscious and exactly the way we think they are, you know, just like we are and the world works according to the laws that we think it works by, but it's a simulation, that to me is almost an empty claim. I remember you made that that point really early on, I think, in our history. And I remember thinking, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know, like, I kind of dismissed it, but I didn't think of it as having no substance at all. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and people would border on stuff like that. Like, there is a way in which you can describe what the universe is. Like, the person who goes in the sensory deprivation chamber, the Anubis guy. Yeah. And he has this, he said he has this realization that we're all just code. And he says, I kind of knew that because of DNA. Well, yeah, like, in one sense, it is all just code. I mean, it's all, like, information in in some way. It's just, you know, like, some. I was struggling sometimes to think of what, what are they arguing against? Well, so here's the difference, though, right? Like, so what is different from, like, substantively, but this is a different metaphysical claim, or at least a different claim, if, like, 
40% of the people I interact with are, don't have consciousness, yeah, you know? that's right. No, And th- so, like, which a lot of people believe that, you know, yeah. that because of computing power... <laughs> Like, <laughs> that was like some funny shit. I was like, how are you coming so up funny. with this estimate? Yeah, right. like, like, we're, like <laughs> the constraints that they, the, the things that they feel, the details they feel like they could know versus what they don't seem totally arbitrary. Right. It's the, the universe has really advanced PlayStation. <laughs> we know that it can't like, like it can't right. do everything. And so, yeah. So to be specific. Yeah, and also like, yeah. And then maybe like Brazil just is all, <laughs> you know, like it's all non-conscious people until somebody goes there or something from the. <laughs> outside like so if that's true that is very different you know yeah no, that, that would change how i view the world if like a lot of times i didn't know if they were an npc or a character right but but i don't think that's what what the guy was saying necessarily because you could you could believe that this is all simulation and 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 i guess the yeah. only difference is that you believe that this is as they say not not the base reality or the base reality, not the base the reality. Right. um but then but, it but turns like, into just another version of believing in some sort of like Gnostic dualism where, where there's, the, there's the gods in the real metaphysical realm yeah. and they created us out of meat yeah. um, and forced us into these bodies. Theirs is just, the simulation theory is just now a different kind of version of that. It definitely felt like that, like the, yeah. the Hindu version of it, which has like avatars yeah. of people and who are, and you know, constant worlds within worlds are being created. And it just seemed like this is just a version of those. But yeah, there's something about the version that uh, that really uh, makes people less social rather than more social. It right. Seems like. Or, or the your or you know or, or the order is is yes. flipped. <laughs> yeah. As a question, like one of the guys seemed to have this idea that like someone like Kanye West was actually being played. You know, yeah. like it's like a video game, and so like he's playing him for a really good time. Then he checks out, but and he's really good and gets him to be like you know a famous rapper or whatever. Right. But then just gets kind of bored of it and just leaves it. And then he said, "That's how you explain like celebrities." quick decline or quick, you know, rise. Right, the, guy, and, the, yeah. the player logged off. I, I don't get that. Do you get that? Like, do you get what, how that is supposed think, to work? I think the idea is that when the player logs off, what takes over is just some algorithm. So, mm-hmm. like, they become an NPC temporarily, and they don't have the excellence that the player who's right. playing him has to log on. So, like, the, But what are yeah. we, then? Like, where do, where, like, what am I in this world view? Uh, yeah, that's I don't know. That's a good question. I, I assume that he meant that like we all have somebody playing us, and they're, but are they're mediocre? But that there, then it just starts being like, well, <laughs> like yeah, kind of I, I, I am the player. Shitty podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sadly, it's just me in control of like my life. Like, but uh, so is the idea that we feel like we're in control, but it's actually them in control. I don't know. But then what happens when they just stop playing us? Yeah, I don't feel like sometimes, you know, yeah. I act with more purpose. Or maybe. Maybe it's like the times I'm just like on Twitter, just I can't get off. <laughs> oh, I can't, right, yeah. yeah. Goes to show some of some of these claims are, are the evidence that's used for the claims is a spattering of, of fairly um, ludicrous notions about like what. It really is like religion. You already believe it. And so what you're doing is looking for some pieces of evidence. So um, right. one of the, the guy, he was raised religiously. And so he says, when I was 11 or 12, like I was in church and everyone was singing. And I thought to myself, these are all just weird. We're all just bags of meat and there's just singing. 
and the meat flaps of the, and the throat. meat flaps of the throat. Yeah, and, yeah. And then I real like somehow this was what led him to believe that <laughs> none of this is real. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird, especially the whole meat flap idea, which is which is. It was interesting because he was just like, everybody's all dressed up. He's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it's at church and everyone's dressed up and they're singing and they're taking this so seriously. And I think he's just marveling at the absurdity of it. And then it's the absurdity that makes him think that it's not real. Yeah. And I've definitely had those moments. And I yeah. remember having them as a kid where you're just like, this is kind of crazy. Like, wh- like what? This is, a, this is absurd. Those moments of, of almost like clarity. Where you just. Where it's like peeled back. And you yeah. realize that, like, this is just, would, like, this ultimately powerful God want us all to wear a specific kind of clothes and sing, chant in these very specific ways for his right. glory? Like, that's just <laughs> odd. <laughs> We're all just in this building. <laughs> 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 right. And it is weird. And everyone got all dressed up to do this, <laughs> to come here and just start making noises like, <laughs> from our throats about things that don't even make sense. And he's like, and it was the 80s, so people dressed up more. And I was yeah. like, wait, did you, so if, it, this, if you had been a kid in the 2000s, you wouldn't have been let the simulation theory. <laughs> There's another guy that says, like, I thought of an orange fish. And then, like, you know, <laughs> uh, three blocks later, there's a sign with an orange fish. And then he yeah. says, I love this one. My favorite one is, he's like, a lot of people work, like, five days in a week. I, I, I like to work in weeks of 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, that, like, he started noticing, like, Every three days within the tw- within the twelve day week, not the seven day week or yeah. the five day, but you know, like little things would happen. So it really is like almost more than two three than two three seven because there they are at least constrained by the movie. Exactly, you know, <laughs> like exactly, the, uh, they are not constrained by anything in these. Right, uh, there's there two three seven room two three seven is constrained by the text. Yeah. There is no text for this, right? Like right. there is there's just life. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you once again by the I Am Bio Podcast. If you like podcasts and you like educating yourself via podcasts and you have an interest in biotechnology and its intersection with politics, patients, and the fate of our planet then I recommend you check out the I Am Bio podcast. I Am Bio brings you powerful stories of biotechnology breakthroughs, the people they help, and the global problems they solve. This spring, I Am Bio dives into today's important issues, like what are the biggest threats to our planet's water supply? What are the latest Alzheimer's research findings? And how is biotech addressing the addiction crisis? The podcast is hosted by Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, president and CEO of the Biotechnology Innovation Organization, and she leads you through all of these topics. In fact, if you're interested at all in uh, the way in which drug prices are set and how that affects uh, patient access, check out their latest episode. Throughout all the episodes, you're guided by Dr. McMurray-Heath, who herself is a medical doctor and a molecular immunologist by training. And can be trusted. She spent her entire career helping patients benefit from these cutting-edge innovations. So get answers on how biotechnology is changing our world. Subscribe to the I Am Bio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Our thanks to the I Am Bio podcast for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Yeah, that that guy who opens it, who who switched to 12-hour work week and says, a 12-day week, I mean, he, I think it's the same guy who opens it up by telling this anecdote that I actually thought was was cool and when aqueducts were the were the ultimate technology people believed that it was humors that that uh controlled the you know everything 
about the body and the mind. And then when telegraphs came, it was like all nerve impulses. And then computers <laughs> came and everybody's like, well, the you know, we're all just computers. And uh, which I think is totally true. Like our primary metaphors for what humans are often comes from our ultimate technology. And then he says something like, um, so if you're if you're in the future and you're watching this and the things that I'm saying like sound a little dumb, it's just because our technology was constrained to like digital computers at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he thinks they're going to be many orders of magnitude <laughs> smarter than he is, but they might think like they might not get that he was constrained by this <laughs> technology. Right. They don't want, he doesn't want to be mocked. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, okay, no, he that's a good point. He's right. We shouldn't uh, mock them. But I think his point was more like, but it seems like what follows from that is not that well we live in a simulation but that like we we're, we think we are we are translating whatever yes. experiences we're having into this technology but that doesn't mean it's real any more than it meant that like you know everything was nerve impulses or everything right. you know yeah. and and it's it's hard not to see the deep deep influence of video games across all of these people and stories and it's like were it not for the fact that we have these games with these non-player characters and these ability to do whatever you want, it, it, it doesn't seem like this would be something that you're naturally drawn to. These people are deeply influenced by the Matrix, maybe, but video games, clearly. For sure. And a lot of their terminology and just the idea of a, an NPC. And I just loved that idea. And, and I love what he did with that, where he uh, I think he's it's Eric Davis being interviewed. And he says, you know, imagine if you played video games all the time, like the idea yeah. of an NPC would just that would constantly be on your mind. And he's like, I, I don't play video games and I still uh, have like encounters with NPCs <laughs> and then they show a clip from Blue Velvet uh, Kyle MacLachlan passing by well, like a great Lynchian character of just like uh, but I love the idea that these kind of Lynchian people that you see in real life that they're just I don't know like uh, aesthetically quirky touches by whoever is doing the simulation they just <laughs> right. don't have consciousness they don't have it's just another way of explaining just these weird uncanny things about life and that right. this is the way he's doing that yeah totally w one of the things that about this sort of like video game view of the world that one of them expresses the, the guy who was from pontiac illinois um, yeah. was a real belief that none of the rest of the world you mentioned this earlier that none of the rest of the world exists while you're not there Mm -hmm. that like it's constantly just being updated right around you. And so they have this little animation of, of you know, he's describing his drive to whatever, um, through Illinois, through like nowhere. And um, they have this little animation of a, just a car on a treadmill with like the, like the set changing around them. Yeah. And um, that's, that's when I just like, seems like hard for me to believe that people would actually believe that one. That like the world just doesn't exist when you're not looking. That's yeah. But that, I think that's like that comes back when they're talking about computing power and yeah. and even Nick Bostrom says something like we don't have to fill in every single detail of yeah. the universe. We only have to fill them in when people are paying attention to it, like in a video game. Yeah. You know? By the way, this is random. I just wanted to say it. Um, I knew this, but was reminded viscerally of how many Philip K. Dick things mm -hmm. have been turned into movies and TV shows. Great movies, it's too. Like great really movies. good. Yeah. 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 Blade no. Runner, Total Recall, A Scanner Darkly. Minority uh, Report. Minority Report. Uh, yeah. Uh, Man in the High Castle. 
Yeah, I'd forgotten about that one. I didn't. I didn't remember that. And right. and they all have. I all have that feel of just like the world is 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 not what it seems. Yeah. Like I'm not what I what I seem or what I think I am. And also everything is kind of fucked up and kind of against you. There are powers in control that are a little bit or a lot antagonistic towards yeah. Uh, yeah. towards you. Yeah, there is this like not everything is what it seems. Like I'm slightly paranoid. Um, there, there are little tears in the fabric of reality that mm-hmm. are allowing me to see through. Yeah, I really also just love that all of his works weren't explicitly driven by this idea, um, yeah. by this like propositional idea. It just he later he only came to realize that this is what's been driving so many of his ideas. And I love the thought that there could be themes to our lives that we're not aware of. <laughs> yeah. <But that's laughs> this is like in a lot of the narrative view of the self stuff that there are people who think we should be looking at our lives like critics, you know, yeah. like and, and interpreting our lives and that how we interpret it is actually like a way of kind of finding meaning and creating more meaning. And uh, like, his forties really, you know, his thirties were great. He just, he took just, a, on, he just took a dive in his 40s. There was some event right around, it looks like, 2012, and everything <laughs> went downhill from there. Yeah, do you want to talk about the simulation argument itself? Yeah. Um, yes, definitely. As the movie says, and as most people know, it's an idea that's not new necessarily. At least certain aspects of the idea have been around forever. But the modern version of it is that, yes, there we are a computer simulation a computer simulation being run, who knows, by some people who have advanced technology. So yeah, Sebastian gives this, yeah, I really want to know what you thought of this, where he says, look, the real state of affairs could be one of three things. There Mm -hmm. could be that most civilizations never reach the technology, what he calls technological maturity, which is (laughs) underspecified as fuck. (laughs) A little (laughs) kind of sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So that uh, beings just become extinct for whatever reason that civilizations don't make it past um, a critical point to develop their technology into the sort of technology that would be able to run simulations. Two, civilizations do get to that point where they have sufficient technological advancement, but they just lose interest in the whole idea and they never get around to making simulations. And three, they can do it, they're interested in doing it, and they did do it. And if you accept that third one, then it's just a short step to say the number of simulations must vastly outweigh the number of realities just because of the nature of how easy it is to simulate. So probabilistically, we are currently in a simulation. Right. If you get, if you've ruled out the other two hypotheses. Yeah. Which I, as far as the argument goes, I probably agree with that part. What I don't get, and I know there's a lot of fancy probability theory in this, but I just don't get what the basis for assigning a probability is to the first one that, that human species go extinct until they reach technological maturity, which means that they can create simulations in, and in the simulations, at least some of the people have are conscious in the way that I'm conscious. Right. Yeah. But that first one is saying like, it could be that nobody ever gets to the point of making simulations to begin with. Right. That's what I'm saying. I just want to like, when they say make simulations, it's not that they run like simple models. They run our world where, you know, at least one person is conscious, but probably uh, a lot more. Right. 
Yeah. And I just don't know, like, you know, Elon Musk says, like, if you just think of any rate of advancement, we started out with Pong and then, you know, now look where we are computer-wise, you just have to assume that that we will be able to to do this. <laughs> I just don't know what the basis for that claim is. Yeah, it's a... It's a a weird optimism, but this is a guy who thought that, you know, we'd be having full self-driving cars by now. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that a lot of people who are working in AI and machine learning really, really don't think that we're going to make that kind of advancement anytime soon. And, and also, like, what, like, how, mm-hmm. we don't, given that we don't understand consciousness, exactly. like, <laughs> how would we know whether, like, a computer could do it or not? Like, yeah. what basis do we have? That That's the problem with the whole argument for me. And he, he just just assumes that it is true right this is yeah. this is to elon musk we're idiots for thinking that it wouldn't be true right yeah yeah and and it's and, funny like i would love to just pose that question to to someone who you know they would give sm- you a boring answer they would say well are you saying that brains aren't computational maybe yeah <laughs> like, well, they were, then they would dismiss you as a quack they, like i'm telling you like this they have no interest in this it's crazy yeah like I mean, maybe I'm straw manning here, but I, I, I really don't think so. I think that they would say, like, it's so obvious that with sufficient complexity, like, we would be able to actually create subjectively experiencing conscious beings. But that, I also had the same exact thought as you. Wait, what? Like, how? <laughs> that's just faith. Like, yeah. you know, that's just an, uh, an expression of faith. It has, that's why I think it's stupid that these papers all have these, like, fancy probability. You can't assign a probability to that at this point. Well, you know, I came across, again, there's, there's no way that I could ever understand these, some of these papers, but I came across a paper that I might have mentioned last time we talked about this, and it was uh, a paper by real physicists who study quantum shit, and they had an argument that it was um, just impossible that we could be living in a simulation because of the particular kinds of quantum phenomena, at least uh, a simulation by a digital computer. Mm-hmm. because of the quantum stuff that's going on, that there is just no way to properly simulate the quantum shit. And given right. that we know that quantum shit is at the basis of our reality, that it's that it would be impossible for a digital, anything we know of as a computer to do it. Right. And um, I don't know how good that is, but I, I haven't, like how good that argument is or how well received it is. But that's the kind of argument that I would take seriously when it comes to probability, not probability, yeah. just like sort of is this, not just is it conceptually possible, but is this something that makes any sense given right, what we know about computers and what we know about reality? Right. Yeah. The hubris of even just <laughs> this is at least an 85 percent chance that we'll just be able to create something that is conscious is just right. insane because we don't understand how that works with us. No, I know. Uh, it's uh, it's frustrating <laughs> It's it's very weird. It's like there's a there's a missing step. All these are very smart people, obviously, but it's like they have this yeah. one little gap that just allows them <laughs> right. to like overlook the fundamental absurdity of making these kinds of calculations. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you to make sure I understood it is so so this three these sort of three possibilities that he's mapped out. He thinks they're exhaustive, yeah. right? So like it has to be one of these three. I don't know if it matters, but so. One, we go extinct before technological maturity. Two, we lose interest. Everybody loses interest. I mean, it, it's also possible that like three civilizations achieve technological maturity and made simulations that are have conscious beings in it. And then the probability 
um, would still be kind of low that we were in a simulation, given how many other worlds there probably are out there that are not simulations. Like, it- so you mean that there could be we could just be on a simulate a civilization that just hasn't achieved it yet. Yeah, and like that could be ninety nine point nine percent of civilizations right. don't achieve it. You know, point one percent do, and they do it. But that means there's only like say eighty thousand simulations going on, and there <laughs> are actually ten million worlds with conscious beings. So like the uh, there the odds are. So, like the the odds calculation in number three is would be low, even though yeah. simulations can exist. It doesn't mean that they that there are that many of them. Right. It could be that there are more non simulation exactly. base realities than there yes. are. Um, <laughs> I, now, I guess so. the idea is even if there are these other civilizations, there's still one base universe. Though. Yeah. And so maybe that's what uh, covers that. Like, so there's still like you're not uh, talking about your civilization when you're doing this calculation, but your your universe as a your whole. Your whole universe. Yeah. yeah. The one where, like, I, or this isn't an objection exactly, but why are we creating all these simulations? And, <laughs> and, and yeah. how does that work? Like, do, do we, assume, like, what's the point of run, running more than one simulation? So does it assume that determinism is false, or is it just that they're manipulating variables for some reason? Yeah, like, I, think, I think what it, so here's one possibility. Suppose that there are all these scientists everywhere and uh, you know how we run simulations with every conceivable variable um, tweaked so that we know, say, how whether a storm, whether, you know, right. some high pressure front is going to turn into a terrible storm. Yeah. Um, and so you are running like a thousand simulations. Now, suppose that in order to predict what's going to happen next, you know that you have to run like the, the most accurate simulation possible. And so and then tweak only the slightest variable. And so the scientists on those worlds are creating such rich simulations in order to predict what's going to happen that they, by mistake, have created these universes of, right. of real people or of people like us, at least. You know, again, this is sort of a, 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 a metaphor porting over what we know about how we do things. Like yeah. you run, scientists run thousands of, of simulations for one paper, right? I mean, so, I, that, that sounds totally right, but I'm just wondering still, like, if you dig into the details of that, are they, let's say they're trying to predict whether, like, a war will start, do they just run, like, a thousand simulations? Yeah, suppose you want to know whether the Celtics are going to win tonight, yeah. and you know that, that there are things like how much the players slept or what a fan said to somebody right before the game. There are all right. these things that might actually, right? These all might be scientists who are, or not scientists, these are all be, might be gambling industry simulations in these <laughs> in this other world that are, sure. right? And so who knows? I, that's just one possibility. The other possibility is they're doing it for fun. Like the one guy who, who yeah. says, I imagine that it's like a big marble in the middle of a room and everybody's looking at us just for their entertainment. Like right. Truman Show, like. yeah, like that, and then he was, and playing a, us too. He, I think he's the same guy who says they're not just watching us, but they're playing. Maybe, us. yeah. So, and he was like, yeah. he's the one who said, like, I want to build something really big, so that they see it, like as they're walking down, passing our marble, they see like a huge structure in the on the screen. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I, I like. I think it was him too. He he was talking about what if uh, Elon Musk is like this player character that comes down to like kind of fuck with us, and just, like, tell <laughs> yeah. us like give us little hints, and then goes back to talk to his That's extra hin- dimensional friends, you know, like laughing about. That's just know. like digital Hinduism, you know, yeah, like that's totally. exactly. <laughs> 
Also, it's like an extra dimensional, like godlike Elon Musk <laughs> bitch about like Bernie Sanders and you know uh, progressives. <laughs> I, I don't think so. That's not. <laughs> this episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you once again by NordVPN. A VPN, a virtual private network, is one of those things that can provide privacy and security when you're traveling or when you're, say, on a public Wi-Fi or even when you're at home and you don't want your ISP knowing exactly where you travel. A VPN basically provides a a tunnel of encryption so that your data can flow through without any uh, prying eyes available to see. But you might not care about any of that. And I, I bet you a lot of our listeners don't. But with NordVPN, you get a whole other benefit. And that is that you can access content from over 59 different countries by simply changing your virtual location with one click. You download NordVPN on your Android phone, on your iPhone, on your computer, your laptop, um, your iPad. And with one click, you can essentially make it look like you live anywhere and access content from any of those regions. So for instance, I have family that likes, loves watching Spanish speaking content from uh, Latin America. They can make it seem as if they are uh, d- dialing in, not really dialing, <laughs> you know what I mean, uh, from Chile or Argentina and get access to whatever they're watching there. Um, if you're, say, a big fan of UK TV and you want to watch Peaky Blinders but don't want to wait until it comes out on our streaming services, you can watch it early on UK streaming services by simply doing one click. And if you're traveling and you want to get all access to your streaming service from your home country, you get that just by making sure you have NordVPN installed so you never have to miss any of your favorite shows again. Really, this is the way that the internet should work. I'm a firm believer that physical geographical boundaries ought not matter. And if you have access, if you pay for something, then you certainly should have access to it no matter where you go. So if you're interested in a solution like this, go to nordvpn.com slash vbw. You will get a special deal as a very bad Wizards listener. If it's not your thing, if you don't like it, if you think that it didn't provide the benefits that you thought it would, fine, there's no risk. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee. But if you do go to that URL and you sign up, you can get a pretty sweet deal. For instance, if you sign up for a two-year plan, you'll be able to get... uh, NordVPN monthly for like three bucks a month. Um, So give it a shot. NordVPN.com slash VBW. Give it a try. Our thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. There's a guy who tells a story. It's a very long story about how the guy says, I was raised in Mexico. I went back later on and I was with some Mexican friends, friends of friends, and they picked me up in their wagoneer. I could tell they were drinking and sure enough, they offered me a beer and then they started driving on the wrong side of the road. And then we went to drink more on this pyramid. And then we got in this terrible accident and the police, the banditos came and then the, the federales came and then somebody came and saved us. And that's when I knew, what are the chances? Yeah. Like that, that would happen in something other than a simulation. And I was like, motherfucker, you're in Mexico. That's just, it's just Mexico. Like, it's not exactly. a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, totally. <laughs> then I've also like, should have realized I'm in a simulation. Like every yeah. time I've been in Mexico. The chances of that happening in a simulation would also be like low. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, but again, like this is what happens when you have the whole world to choose from to confirm your <laughs> priors, you know, your theory. Like just literally anything can be that. Like yeah. what the, the more interesting thing was like, the man, you know, the Mandela effects 
Um, yeah, I know you find that. I knew you would love that. <laughs> that was awesome. I also love that somebody says that there's been over 200,000 uh, recorded <laughs> and 10,000 documented and confirmed Mandela, Mandela effects. effects. It's so it's frustrating because like, if I, like I'm watching it and I'm like, I never thought Mandela died in prison. And all they would say is, yep, so you're part of that universe then. And it's like, oh, fuck. But how did they <laughs> confirm it? <laughs> like, like, what's the? How how is that possible to confirm it for that same reason yeah, that exactly. you can't yeah, yeah. Uh, falsify it? You also can't confirm it. So, like, I guess maybe they just mean people having different they, memory. You know, a significant least, number like, of people having yeah, different more than memory. two. More than two yeah. people remember Kit Kat. But, the, but this is what, you know, like what you were saying about you have the this idea of a reality and it's fraying and you're starting to be able, what did you say? Like the, the curtain is tearing like, or yeah, something. Yeah. And there's a lot of Wizard of Oz clips yeah. too. And then you're getting a glimpse at the, at the real thing outside. And, you know, it was really, I thought, interesting about how Plato's cave was used in this context because it just really is this other version of that. Yeah. There's this idea that what we're seeing right now isn't real and that outside, then we're seeing the real things, the, the, the forms, that a lot of these things might be based on, but they're not that. They're not the real thing. We're seeing images. We're seeing reflections. We're seeing yeah. like dreams. And there, but there, but we're getting a little bit of a glimpse, and there might be some way for us to tap into the the real world, you know? Yeah. One of the things that is so clear, I mean, is how much these ideas are helping people cope with yeah. the difficulty that is living just life, right? And one of them, I this really made me kind of sad. One of one of the guys is expressing how he's certain that when he dies, he'll just wake up because of how many times he's woken up from a dream. Yeah. Right? He's like, I've, I've lived lifetimes in dreams and, and I wake up. I've had so many experiences of being ripped from, from my reality into this realization that I was dreaming that I know when I die, I'm 100% certain that I'm going to wake up somewhere else. And I was like, oh, man, that's tough. I think people also use it as an explanation. I mean, I think the Matrix guy said that explicitly. Like he said, you know, that's the only explanation for why my life is so horrible, why I'm getting abused and I'm that, lonely. And, that, you know, like. Phone, that phone call was tough, man. I did not see that coming. And in fact, the movie takes a this turn from being like, uh, not lighthearted because you know these people yeah. are, are real human beings with these with these views and it's tough to come to terms with what what they believe and why but then you get to that phone call and the way that he describes murdering his parents and the way yeah. that he says when he shot his mom in the face that he didn't look like it looked in the matrix yeah it, that man that, like i was having a tough time listening yep. to that yeah in a good way. I mean, in, in a... Yeah, because I didn't know the story. I didn't And either. so I, I, I figured there was something different because we weren't seeing him. Yeah. But the guy is being just painfully honest about what happened. Yeah. And he... Apparently, the lawyer wanted to use the Matrix defense, which was, it was a type of defense that people had used for, like, the DC sniper. Yeah. But he, he in the end, decided not to do it. He, he thought it was his fault. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but he really did believe he had schizophrenia. He really believed there is a sense of 
that people with certain dis- mental disorders yeah. are also attracted to this view. You know, I was thinking that uh, that Room 237, that these people all sort of shared a particular kind of psychological tendency, whether it got serious enough to be called schizophrenia or not. Like it was very much of the same ilk. This one, it was a little, a little different. It wasn't clear. Like some people were maybe on the spectrum. Uh, other people might have been, you know, like this guy, Cook, for, uh, having schizophrenia. Um, maybe he was just the odd man out. Maybe the other ones were more alike. Yeah. He, he seemed like his story was was so different. But I don't know. I, you know, I think, what do you think? I, I, the filmmaker might be trying to tell us that this might be the result if you take this view too seriously. Yeah, again, the causal... Yeah. chains it's not clear which direction it goes but um i do think a certain type of person and as, as one of them says you know like he wanted he needed religion he's like the the only real combination of religion and yeah. science is the simulation theory so it's somebody who i think is takes themselves to be extremely rational but then has these religious cravings that they can't make sense of and then it, it results in this i mean the guy in the t- sensory deprivation tank that was just he was just describing a buddhist experience yeah, that you were know, kind of working right. towards the you know but it was, of self yeah yeah yeah. But it was, uh, you know, it was framed in this kind of computer language. So it's it's all different ways of expressing a lot of the same things. There's very archety- a lot of the same archetypes are in this theory as are in like all the major religions. Yeah, it seems like it was it was uncle like like I said before, it was unclear how some of these are related. Like the dissolution of self doesn't seem to be something that naturally lends itself to the view that we're in a simulation. It's more just the particular kind of angst that's motivating these people that leads them yeah. to simulation. And, and the, the variety of experiences they have um, doesn't change the fact that they're attracted to this particular view. Um, yeah, because the view is flexible, yeah. it can really reflect whatever you know uh, kind of religious perspective yeah. you are attract appeals to you or you're drawn to but you don't have a way of putting it into words you yeah. know and like the simulation right. theory is a way of articulating these feelings right um, one of the things that um nikki said that i think was right is that some of these people seem to just simply be grasping with the problem of determinism you know one of them was saying that they realized that we might just be in a simulation because they were thinking about how they make decisions, like or or the script that they go through to check out. Like he was a he was a cashier, and every time a customer came, he had to ask them the same questions, like a little decision tree. Or this guy uh, realized that his dad simply repeated things that he read in Newsweek. It was obvious to him <laughs> that he had read it that morning. It's like sort of like a we're like these <laughs> chemical programs. Yeah. And yeah. so the the notion that that uh, the the realization that he was having was like uh, we're just programs. Like we are a program like a computer. Again, it does not clear to me that that means we're in a simulation only that we are maybe that there is a deterministic path to like, you know. Yeah, I mean like does he think that like the the things that we say aren't in some way like causally influenced <laughs> yeah, by like what we've read or what we've just experienced? <laughs> no, but I think again it's like I think the feeling there is it's why is everybody so dumb and boring and, um, <laughs> yeah. and so it's not just trying to make sense of the fact that they're determined as much as why are they determined to be in this way that's like either abusive to me or like alienating from me and that just seems 
blatantly absurd. I don't, why is he just repeating what he just read in the Newsweek? You know, like that's so boring. Right. But that's just your dad. You that's know? yeah. It, that's part of what I found to the the one part that I found to be dislikable dislikable about some yeah. of these characters, which is what they're having is a failure to appreciate the rich mental lives of others. You know, yes. it it's like I feel like we all go through this this you know, am I the only one kind of thought, but other people, when you get, you know, it's very easy to treat other people as if they are not as deeply rich and complicated as you, you know, what they call, you know, what is it? Main, main character syndrome. Like we all, we're yeah. all the main characters, but, but other people, just cause your dad said the thing you read in Newsweek doesn't make his, the richness of his mental life any different from yours, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. But the reason they don't have fully appreciate the rich mental life of others is because they barely interact with others at all. <laughs> yeah. And I think you need to interact with people to 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 get that appreciation, at least, you know, at a, any kind of deep level. So you, I texted you when I was watching it today and said, these people are bonkers. And you said they, what did you say they get? Well, because they say really sensible and insightful things, some of them. Yeah, so so you had said, you texted me back, they get more reasonable toward the end. And like so I was waiting for the shoe to drop. I was like, oh, no. Like, is, did, like, did they convince Tamler? Like, is it, like, <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> and then I got to the point where I think it, it was clear what you meant. And it was when the guy who's the lion avatar, lion-looking avatar, said... Now that I'm in my mid 40s, I realize that maybe maybe some of these beliefs were something that I just was using to cope with like the difficulty mm-hmm. of my life. And it's like, okay, like there, some level of self knowledge there. That- and they all have their little moments of like, wait, am I projecting <laughs> yeah. or creating this? Or, uh, and then, you know, usually they're able to convince themselves, but that guy came the closest, it seemed, yeah. to really just right now he holds all of this in question. Yeah. No, and the other thing, another thing uh, that I was referring to is the guy, I think this is the wolf bowtie, Egyptian god one, is talking about telling this theory to other people. And he says, I told my uncle about it. And he's like, well, if that's true, what's stopping me from going out and door to door and shooting people in the head? What's stopping me from shooting you in the head? And so he's, he's relaying this story and he says, and I was like, wait, that's what you want to do, like yeah. That, that's the I only feel thing like that's we have said you. made that. that yeah. That's the only thing that's stopped. We've made this point, yeah. I think, many times. Yeah. But it's he's absolutely right, and he even says like, I don't think it means it's that different if we're in a simulation exactly. or not. So I think he, you know, but but to make that point, uh, and then you know, also recognize some people take you know more nihilist kind of a, approach to this, and this can give them the excuse to, you yeah. know. There was a montage there when the guy, I think right around when that guy is talking about this, and, and really it is culminating into this, is this the moral implication of simulation theory, that we could just do this? There's a, a really good montage of video game violence, like mm-hmm. like meaningless stuff, like you know Grand Theft Auto when you just you know knocking, crashing yeah. into people, like, and it really viscerally got the point across that like this is how some people might view the world and i think that the film you know the film like his other films does not try to come down anywhere about no it's not judging the characters at all Um, but i do think that it was clear that 
at least from the way that it, that he presented it, that this ought not be the implication morally, <laughs> just from the yeah. insight that people had. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, you know, like we've always said, yeah, it's not. I don't want to go start shooting everybody <laughs> in the head. <laughs> Period. It's I, and not I, like... And I do in video games, so that's fine. <laughs> right, but that's different because it's video games. Video games aren't real. Like, I yeah. tell the difference. These people can tell the difference. And I was listening to Weird Studies because they had a, a Rodney Asher on their show. Uh, they were talking about this this point in the movie, and Rodney Asher said kind of what we always say, which is, yeah, like... That shouldn't be the first thing that crosses your <laughs> exactly. mind when you find out that, you know, that we're in a simulation. First of all, you know, a lot of these people may be conscious just like you. <laughs> right. So then one of them says, yeah, but, you know, I've always thought about this. And if there, if we are in a simulation, there's no good moral argument against killing people. But wait, wait. so I, I get w- what he's saying. And I think but it's like. Is the only reason that you're not killing people because you believe there, that there's this great moral <laughs> right, argument right. that tells you not to? Right. You, know, yeah. you know, I would think, because this is rep- accurately reports my experience, I just have no desire to kill people in the life of like what I take this to be, you right. know? And I mean, like that just like doesn't appeal to me at all. I wouldn't do it, and I don't care whether someone would say because it's morally wrong. I right? Mean, I believe it is, but still, right. <laughs> if it wasn't, I still don't want to do it. Right? Even if everyone was a non-player character, um, I'd still yeah. not need feel the need to do that. Why would I? Um, but the mere possibility that they feel things like I feel things is like reason enough like that might not be yeah. an airtight philosophical argument but i'm like well it hurts me when you shoot me so I, like i don't want to do that to someone else <laughs> right if i shot myself that would hurt <laughs> yeah. so there's no reason for me to assume that like, that's not true of other exactly um, uh, especially since yeah it's so unspecified what the simulation exactly would have to be. there's but i do think some people just aren't like that they yeah. first of all do want to go around shooting people yeah it's and scary yeah, and I don't know. My question is, is the thing that's holding them back that they think there's reality versus a simulation? Or is it just, I don't want to go to prison? Because <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's not like in a video game. You play Grand Theft Auto, you don't then spend like 30 years in prison. Yeah. By the way, I uh, I just remembered that there is a paper. I think at some point I might have suggested or put it in the Slack or something. There is a paper by a philosopher that takes seriously the the view that hurting people in video games is morally wrong because we're not 100% sure that when we've simulated them that we're not creating some kind of mild consciousness. Um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, cool. And and that's the same reasoning that would apply to us not killing people right. in our world. Right. You know, exactly. if we yeah. thought we were in a, in right. a simulation. Hey, um, there's one argument that I came across that I wanted to get your thoughts on about why uh, about why we're not in a simulation or at least to doubt it. And it yeah. was that suppose there is a base reality and we're in a simulation wouldn't that base reality have just as much reason to believe that they're in a simulation and then infinite regress what do you mean so so the people who are simulating us yeah um presumably smart technological society wouldn't they have all of the same reasons that we have to believe firmly that they're being simulated yeah and then like every bait, like every, every, it can't be that everything is a simulation. No, but it could be that like you have to believe that you're in a simulation. 
but like one right. of them is but just one wrong of them is just it. wrong. Yeah, there has to yeah. be at least one that's wrong, but with all of the same reasons that we have for thinking that we are in a simulation, they exactly. would have to. Yeah. So yeah. so may, maybe that all that argument shows is that epistemologically, it's always rational to believe that you're in a simulation. Right. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, if you, yeah, I just can't get past. The, the first part of it, which is that we'll be able to create these giant simulations yeah, no, of like conscious people. It is frustrating though, because you know, it's like a very common sense objection. Um, and, and, but it feels like it would never convince any of like the Elon Musk's of the world. <laughs> I, I thought Bostrom was interesting. Like, you know, first of all, when he was describing like how much attention it's gotten, yeah. he, he seemed to have slightly mixed feelings. I, I know, it could just be the Swedishness of him, but like he seemed like he was almost pained talking about how to- popular it was. Well, you know, totally. And I, it, he was, he's a philosopher, and and you could just tell that. Well, I think you're right that it might be the Swedish. What the sense that I got is he's a philosopher like any other, and yeah. he mounted this as an argument that he has reason to believe, but yeah. that in this very philosophy way doesn't shake mm-hmm. him to the core. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that all of these people took it this far is like, well, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like being sort of convinced that antinatalism might be right, but having no influence on my desire to have kids. Like, I, you know? Yeah. But like, I think he wanted it to be an argument and not something exactly. that people uh, <laughs> that actually like affected people's lives right. in dramatic ways. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And I also liked his attitude when they talk about it towards the end. He asks Bostrom if it excites him, the idea that we might be. And he says, you know, it's part of how he views the world. But then he says it makes it quite compelling. He's trying to think of something like good to say about it. It makes it quite compelling that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy. And he says like maybe we've gotten like six out of ten things right, but the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and tenth are so momentous that it's actually like kind of deceptive to be at six. You know, it's like you you know more at one or two than you would at (laughs) six because of how dramatic the other like leaps of knowledge are that you would have to make. You thought the denominator was six, right? Yeah. And it turns out there's four other real fucked up like truths that we'll never that we've never gotten to grasp. With. Yeah, and that would completely just change anything uh, that we think about six because it's just a <laughs> right. whole new conceptual framework, a whole new whatever. Right. So I think that like at that point he's just uh, now I think kind of ends up where I am, which is like we have no idea yeah. like how it all really was, works I, fundamentally. Yeah, you know? I was going to say you don't need simulation theory to get there. Um, obviously, I don't even think he thinks that you need simulation theory to get there. It sounded more like the kind of thing that he's given so many talks about this that that he's that this is sort of like the the moral of the story for him. Um, but I thought I'm glad that they included him for sure. Um, Me too, and yeah. that part of it. Yeah, too. and that part of it. I also loved, by the way, the William Blake um, artwork throughout. Yeah. It was really really cool. Like it's just yeah, it's cut together really cool like you could tell it's a cool experience to watch i think yeah i if you can get through that phone call which i think is really hard to listen to and the story about mexico which doesn't lead anywhere other than like isn't that crazy (laughs) the conclusion is isn't that shit crazy it's probably a simulation (laughs) i like that one of them was saying maybe the simulation is flirting with you to like rodney asher (laughs) Like, at, you're making this movie, like, it's letting you make this movie. It's kind of like, all right, you know, yeah. let's. 
Uh, all right. Well, Tamler, I hope that the simulation allows your team to win. I know. That's, uh, yeah. And if not, I'm going to tap onto that membrane between the universe and what's beyond. Try Rip the fabric of space time. <laughs> I want no part of a, of a universe that, where the Celtics just fucking blow it. Just <laughs> choke. Just all-time choke job in game five. And if they're going to now lose it all in game six, then, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> they wanted to bitch the refs instead of play defense. <laughs> See, philosophy has implications. <laughs> Total implications. <laughs> All right, join us next time on Very Bad Wizards.